Well, good morning once again. I would like to invite you on this Resurrection Sunday to, to turn in your Bibles. This is the, the infallible Word of God uh, where the Gospel first comes to us, where we first uh, hear about this amazing resurrection. And turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 through 11. And uh, if you'd like, uh, if you have your bulletin in there, there are some uh, bullet points you can uh, follow along with that might just help, uh, you know, just guide you through this sermon so we can keep our thoughts organized. But we'll go ahead and read this text. This is Paul writing to the Philippian church, the Apostle Paul. He says, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 2, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That is God's word. Let's pray and ask God to bless this time. Father God, we come today to a, a rich text full of your truth and full of the, the, the astounding, the overwhelming way that you changed the Apostle Paul and the way that you can change us as well. And God, I, I come to this Resurrection Sunday with a deep sense of insufficiency and unworthiness to even carry this gospel to the people in this room. God, the truths contained in your word are so much bigger than me or anything I can handle. God, the truths of the resurrection are so much more glorious than anything I feel I could proclaim. So because of that, God, I pray that you would empower us. God, by your Spirit, help me as I preach your word. God, by your Spirit, help the hearers in this room as they listen. And God, may resurrection power shine brightly in their hearts and in their minds 
and let that transform into their lives, God. I pray all this for your worship and for our undeserved joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, things like this are, are interesting. Uh, I like just preaching through books of the Bible in, in general. We're, right now we're going through Genesis, but we've kind of uh, taken some sidesteps uh, off of that. But we come now to, you know, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, and uh, I, I was praying and thinking, what should I preach on Resurrection Sunday? What, what is it, God, that you would have me bring to your people? And I started to think, okay, last week— uh, we, we looked into the stories of, of these four different kind of groups of people and the ways that they uh, valued Christ or did not value Christ uh, as he was approaching the cross. We see uh, Jesus uh, come, come to and see sitting at table, and we saw uh, Ma Mary Magdalene, you know, pour out this ointment on his feet and, and wipe it with her hair. But then other people were, were scoffing at this. Judas says, oh, we could have sold that ointment and given the money to the poor. You have uh, the high priests who are looking not only to kill Jesus because of these miraculous works he's doing, but they're also looking to kill Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And then we had a crowd of people, a crowd of people who come to see Jesus and also to see Lazarus. But more than being concerned about Jesus, more than valuing Jesus, they were concerned with excitement in their lives. They were concerned with uh, novelty, as Alan put it on, on Sunday night. That's what they really valued. But Mary alone, she didn't value money. She didn't value power or anything like the, the religious elites. She didn't value novelty and excitement like the crowd. She valued Jesus, the worship of Jesus. And so I, I thought we would sort of stay with that, that value theme of, of what, what is it even to value Jesus? And so as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, really one of the ways to know how valuable a person is or a thing is, is how that person or that thing affects the lives of the people it comes into. And it kind of dawned on me at that point, Paul is one of the most stark examples of, of what happened when he saw the value of Christ Jesus in the resurrection. And so that's really what we have laid out for us here in Philippians uh, chapter 3, is he, he kind of tells us some of his background, but, but then what happened in his life after he saw the resurrected Jesus. So this is what I want to look at today. What is, what is the, the change that happens? What is revealed in our lives when we recognize that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one who, who went to the cross for our sins and rose again, what, what happens when we meet that Jesus? So let's look at it. Well, we will be looking a lot at, at Paul, a, a person, but I, I want us to see what's going on behind Paul, the, the one that he's valuing as well. So, number one in your notes— if you'd like to follow on along there, is the resurrection changes my values. The resurrection changes my values. The truth of the resurrection changes what I treasure and what I cling to. And we see this uh, really, really well in Paul's life. Uh, if you read with me just verse 2 through 6, 
He says there, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So he's warning them about these, these false teachers who would have them value confidence in their own flesh. They would have them value the wrong things. And here's the argument Paul gives to kind of uh, steer the Philippian church away from valuing what these false teachers are valuing. He says this, Though I myself have reason for, the, for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So, so what Paul's saying is, look, if, if what they're valuing is, is truly valuable, then I'm the most blessed. Uh, I'm the one who should most cling to these things that they're calling valuable, this confidence in the flesh, this confidence in themselves rather than in God. And so he goes on to list sort of these uh, accolades and accomplishments in his life. He says there, uh, I was, you could in insert there in verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day, that was part of the law, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's saying, I, I was a super Hebrew. I, I was born into the Hebrews, not only born into the Hebrews, but into a, an elite group of Hebrews. And my parents trained me up in, in the Jewish religion, and I am an elite person. Then he goes on to say, as to the law, a Pharisee. That, that would be a, a very, very strict sect of this uh, Jewish elite people. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul says, look, if those other people can have confidence in these values, if they can really treasure these things, then I would have all the more reason to value and to treasure these things. And if you know anything about Paul from especially reading the book of Acts, he did value these things. For, for most of his life, he did value uh, his, his accomplishments, his birthright, his, his zeal, his self-righteousness. But you would also know by reading the book of Acts that there was a day everything changed for Paul. Quite literally, Paul's life was flipped upside down. In Acts 9, if you were to read it, uh, you would see that Paul was literally on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians, to persecute people who believed in this Messiah, Jesus Christ, to persecute people who would have the audacity to believe that this Christ had actually risen from the dead. He was going to go there to persecute them, to imprison them, and even to sentence them to death. But Jesus, when he's on that road, appears to him, appears to him in glory, and speaks to him. Saul, Saul, that was another name he had. Why are you persecuting me? And it's hard to kick against the goads. Basically, what, what Jesus is saying is, look, Saul, you're going to persecute people. Look, Paul, you're going to persecute people who believe in me. Here I am. Here I am, the resurrected Christ standing before you. You're working against me, Paul, and that is not going to end real well for you. That's not going to turn out real well for you. And at that point, everything, everything in Paul's life changed. Look at his value shift in verse 7. Look at verse 7. 
But whatever gain I had, that's talking about all his accolades, all his accomplishments that he treasured and valued so much, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is the same Paul who was persecuting people that were following this Christ. This is the same Paul who, who didn't care a thing about Christ. In fact, he hated Christ. This person who he believed to have been dead, who believed to have the, the grave robbed, that he hadn't really risen from the dead. Well, I mean, we could fast forward to the, the end of Paul's life. He becomes sort of known as, as, a, as a super apostle in the Bible, right? He becomes uh, one of the foremost missionaries the world has ever seen. I mean, he was planting churches uh, at the furthest ends of the, the known earth to them at the time. He writes 13 books of the New Testament. That's more books than any other author uh, of the Bible. Paul ends up writing this persecutor of the church who loved his accomplishments, loved his accolades, and loved his self-righteousness. And now he calls all that lost. He calls all that rubbish that he may gain Christ because he now sees the surpassing worth of Christ. You hear that word worth, that surpassing worth, that's value, isn't it? I now hold Christ as, as a surpassing value, surpassing worth, surpassing treasure over anything else. So we counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That, to me, is the most stark example of a change in values I've ever heard of. That's the, the most uh, crazy and beautiful example of a treasure exchanged for a greater and more valuable treasure. That is what happened in Paul's life. Now, as we move through the, this text, I want to point out to you that, that all of these points that I put in your outline say, My the resurrection changes my values, and we'll go on with that pattern. And the reason I'm doing that is I believe that Paul's conversion, Paul's value exchange was put in the Bible, uh, not just for us to read as history, but as an example of what happens in all of our lives when we meet the resurrected Christ. For all of us, if we meet the resurrected Christ, if we are convinced of the fact, the reality that Christ really did die, he really did have the punishment for our sins placed on him, but that he really did rise from the dead three days later, everything changes in our lives. Because when our values change, when, when what we consider to be most worthy changes, everything in our life follows our values. I mean, seriously, you think about it. If you value convenience and you're, you're hungry, are you going to go to the store, buy some steaks, season it for a while, then cook? No, no, no. If you value convenience, you're going to Taco Bell, right? <laughs> but, but on the other hand, if you value a, a delicious steak, you value fine food, then you'd be willing to go through that. In the same way, if you value the things of this world, if you value petty uh, laughs and, and, and little happiness here and there, then, then you, won't, you won't go for the, the deep joy in Christ. 
You won't be willing to suffer loss like Paul did. But that's what I want to show you today, is that meeting the resurrected Christ, recognizing that the, that the resurrection is true, changes everything in our lives. So my next three points, I want to show you exactly what about the resurrection changes our values. So following along as we study further, number two, here's the first thing that the resurrection does. The resurrection reveals my need. The resurrection reveals my need, that I am bankrupt without Christ. This may seem like an odd thing uh, to say that the resurrection reveals my, my need, uh, but it does. You think about Paul, he, he was a man who, again, he, he did not believe that, that Jesus really was the Messiah. He did not believe uh, that there was this resurrection of the dead. And in fact, he did not believe he needed a Messiah. As to the law, blameless. Did you see that uh, in the verses before? As to the law, blameless. Paul didn't feel he needed a Messiah. Now, a person who, who feels they don't, they don't need a Messiah, and he, he knew what Jesus had taught throughout his life. He even knew that Jesus had, had taught that he would be resurrected from the dead. Uh, in Matthew 27, just to give you an example, in Matthew 27, verse 63, uh, the chief priests and, and the Pharisees come to Pilate uh, after Jesus' crucifixion and after his burial, and they say this, Sir, we remember how that imposter, Jesus, how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, er, order that, that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away. So the, the Pharisees and, and, and the chief priests, and Paul was a Pharisee, they go to, to Pilate and say, hey, this guy said that he was going to rise from the dead, so let's put a guard in front of his tomb. So Paul knew that, that Jesus had said he would rise from the dead, but he considered it a lie. This guy's a liar. Or maybe he's just crazy and thinks that he'll come back from the dead, right? But then he's walking along, and the resurrected Christ appears before him, talks to him. I mean, that, that had to hit him. Uh, I don't want to give an example, like, like a baseball bat. It had to hit him hard, like a Mack truck. Oh, no. All of it was true. This man who I believe to be crazy or just a liar, he said he would rise from the dead. That's pretty insane, and he did. He sees that the resurrection was true, and what that therefore means is that if the resurrection was true, and that's the, the craziest thing we've ever heard, then everything else that Jesus said must have been true as well. And Paul would have known the sayings of Jesus. Paul was, or Jesus was, was quite the spectacle at that time. They were scheming of how to put him to death because of the things that he would say. Things such as, there is no one good except God alone. No one good. Paul believed himself to be very good, right? I, I, don't, I don't need a savior. There is no one good except God alone, Jesus said. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. No one. Not you, Paul. Not because you're a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee. None of that. 
And Jesus said this, John 3, 16. I, I just like to use this passage uh, because we all know it, but we probably don't know all of what goes on here. John 3, 16 uh, through 21, and Jesus says this, and Paul would have known about this stuff. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So we all know that part, but we might not know what comes after it. Jesus says this, verse 17. For God did not send his son, speaking of himself, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light— Speaking of Jesus, the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And Jesus said these things all the time. You who aren't even trusting in me, the reason you're not trusting in me is because you're wicked, and you don't want your wickedness revealed. And so Paul had to realize at this point, if the resurrection was true, that which Jesus said would happen, then everything else must have been true as well. C.S. Lewis has uh, popularly said, uh, we have three conclusions we can come to about Christ. That, that truly the, the resurrection blows away two of them. Either he is a liar, he's just saying these things and he's lying about it, or he's a lunatic, he's saying these things but he's out of his mind so we really don't have to listen to him, or he is the Lord of the universe. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. And when the Lord, who says he's going to be resurrected from the dead, shows that to be true, so he, and it's not crazy, there he is, then that must mean he is Lord. And if the Lord had to come and live and die on a cross and be ri risen from the dead, that must mean there is great sin in this world. That must mean there is great need for him. That must mean that we cannot put confidence in the flesh. That's what Paul said there in verse 3. We put no confidence in the flesh. We trust in Christ Jesus. Paul had to come to the point of recognizing his own need. The resurrection proved to him that his need was great. Christ did have to die because his sins were so wicked. Christ did have to endure the wrath that, that we all deserve because these sins were so wicked, entirely undeserved. But kind of the beauty of recognizing need is that Jesus fulfills that need, right? The resurrection not only shows the need, it shows that that need has been fulfilled. He has already been on the cross. He has already borne the sin and on the cross, he said, it is finished. It is paid in full. And then he proves it. How? Well, three days later, he rises from the dead. That, that proves that God had accepted his payment for sin. The 
fact that the resurrection reveals our need is one of the most beautiful aspects because we are needy people. We need our our values to change. Do you realize that? We need our values to change. We need to realize that there is more to this life than right here, right now. That there is a spiritual life. There is a spiritual dimension. And it is only when we recognize this supernatural, eternal resurrection of Jesus Christ that we we see our, our, our need, our eternal need in Christ but then he fulfills that need. In fact, he had already fulfilled that need for Paul. And so we know Paul trusted in this Christ. He saw his need, and he clung to Christ, his work, by faith. The resurrection changed his values first by revealing his need. Now, moving along, as if that is not enough, as if this salvation, eternal salvation is not, there is more. Number three in your notes, the resurrection reveals my power. The resurrection reveals my power. Now that may seem contradictory to point two. I recognize that. The resurrection reveals my need. Yes, it does. It reveals my need for a Savior, but in that need, it reveals that there is a fulfiller of that need namely Christ Jesus. And when we accept that, the resurrection reveals this new power that we receive. Look at how put it there, how Paul put it there in verse 10. He, he said just before this, he counts everything as, as rubbish and, and clings to Jesus by faith, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And we'll get to the rest of verse 10 in just a moment, but I want to focus for a second on this power of the resurrection. What's Paul talking about? What is this this power? Well, this power that Paul's talking about is not just something for eternity, not just something that we can say, oh, in a long ways off, I'll I'll be given this, this new life. No, no, Paul's talking about a life that has been given to him now that he now wants to experience. He wants to experience this resurrection power right here, right now. Listen to how he puts it in Galatians 2.20. You might recognize this verse. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You think of uh, Philippians 2, I believe 11 and 12. Yeah, he says, uh, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's, there's this new power working in those who have seen the resurrection, believed the resurrection, and clung to it. The, the scripture reading for today was earlier, 1 Peter 1, 3. It says this, I just love the way it puts it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, that's the need, by the way, great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, there is a resurrection, a spiritual resurrection that takes place in our lives when we trust in him. 
That is, our, our old dead hearts that were dead to Christ, dead to God, dead to spiritual things, are imbibed, given this, this power, this new life. And it is this resurrection power that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. We might say, well, what is that power? Is that the power to do magic tricks or something neat like that? No, no, it's, it's a much more practical power than that, a much more beautiful power than that. Because I don't know about you, but uh, certainly pre-Christ, for sure pre-Christ, um, I sinned a lot. I, I did a lot of bad things in my life. I dishonored God in a lot of bad ways. I dishonored other people, sinned against other people in a lot of bad ways. And the problem was I, I lacked any power against this sin. I was in bondage to my sin. But the Bible tells us, as we'll read here in a moment, that the resurrection gives us power to forsake sin and to do righteousness. It gives us power against sin and for righteousness, true good works in our lives. If you want to turn with me to Romans chapter 6, this is a, a longer passage I want to read for you because Paul puts it better than I could, so I'll just read his own words that he wrote in another book. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1, we'll go to, through to verse 13. Romans 6 verse 1. He says there, What shall we say then? Are we to, to continue in sin that grace may abound? He's saying, do we just continue in sin now that we have this salvation? He says, verse 2, By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Newness of life, that is a power. And we're going to go on, but that, that, he's talking about this, this new life. Our old man has been put to death, and we have this, this new resurrection life in us that we can now walk in. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has, been set free, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness, for unrighteousness, I'm sorry. Do not present your, your bodies as members, sorry, I'll start that again. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life 
and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So what Paul was saying in Philippians, in the passage we're studying, he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. He's not there talking about eternal resurrection. He's talking about this resurrection power that is indwelling him right here, right now. This resurrection power that is available to him right here, right now, because he has believed, because he has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Christ. Will Christians still struggle with sin? Yes. We'll still be tempted, we'll still be tried, we'll still slip into it, but we're not bound to it. Jesus has broken the bondage. He has given us the power, the ability, and even the desire to forsake sin. Friends, if you feel stuck in your sin, look to the resurrection. There is power in the resurrection. It has been put in you. Do not lose hope. If you don't even know Christ today, you say, I couldn't possibly be a Christian because I can't forsake all this sin I'm in. Look to the resurrection. There is power to break whatever bonds you feel you have, whatever habits, addictions, patterns. The resurrection is far more powerful. And not only can it break the bondage of sin, it can give you the desire and the ability to do what is truly good, what is truly pleasing to God, what truly glorifies Him, what truly is good for your brother, your sister, your neighbor, what is truly good you can now do. You have the power to live a new kind of life that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. But Paul goes on there and he says, and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. This may not seem like the most uh, Easter morning sermon but the resurrection not only gives us power to forsake sin and to do righteousness, it gives us to, the power to suffer for the glory of God. It gives us the power to suffer for the glory of God. Paul wants this. He says, I, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, even becoming like him in his death. So why is Pastor Jeff on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, talking about suffering as a Christian and calling that a good thing? Well, there's a lot here. But the way I want to put this to you is, who here is tired of living a trivial life? Who here is tired of, of constantly filling your life with just cheap distractions who here is tired of living a life that lacks meaning, lacks significance? That's what the old life is. That's what the old powerless life is. is well, I'll just make it through. Eat, drink, be, be merry, for tomorrow we die. You know, just going to live. But with resurrection power, when we have this thing of surpassing worth, this thing of surpassing value, namely Christ Jesus, we now have a life worth living, and we now have a life worth suffering for. We have a, a mission worth suffering for. We have a name to be glorified worth suffering for. We have friends and family and neighbors and co-workers who, are, uh, who need to hear this gospel, who need to see the glory of God, and it becomes worth it to suffer. Too many people, often myself included, go through this life with trivial 
things as our focus, as our attention. We piddle away each day of our lives that God gives us as a gift. But because of the resurrection, we can have a new life, a new purpose, and a new power to do whatever God calls us to do. We showed you a picture at the beginning of the Mongols in Thailand. They moved to Thailand to minister to them there. That, that, that's, that's suffering for Christ's sake. But you know what? Their, their lives have meaning. But you know what? You don't have to move to Thailand for your life to have meaning. When you see the resurrected Christ, when you see the glory, the value, the worth of Christ, it will be worth it to you to suffer for his sake. It'll be worth it to you to suffer, to make his name known. I mean, Jesus said this, this will happen. If you become a Christian, you will face tribulation. He says in Matthew 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before you. If you were of this world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The resurrection power is a call to make our life worth something. Too many of us uh, bow to, to the, the idol of, of comfort, bow to the idol of, of convenience and ease, and, and, and again, insignificant enjoyments, and we miss out on this deep well of significance and joy and hope that is found only in truly living all out for Christ, even when it means that we might suffer, even when it means we might die for the sake of Christ. This is, believe it or not, a, a good thing that we have the power to suffer and to suffer well by the power of the resurrection. And that point is only made more true by, by number four in your notes. The resurrection reveals my future. The resurrection reveals my future. The reason that we can be willing to suffer here and now is not only because we, we experience Christ more here and now by suffering for his sake, but because we also know that we have a hope past this present day, past this present life. Again, it is, it is far too plain that, that too many people live as though this life is all there is, as though we've got to, to milk every ounce of enjoyment, every ounce of ease and comfort out of it. We act like when we die, this will be it. I either lived it or I didn't. But we're wrong. And the resurrection shows us that that life this physical life we are, we are now experiencing is just the beginning. It is just a blip on the screen of our lives if we are in Christ. The resurrection shows us that. Look at how Paul says it in verse 11. I want to do all these things, I believe and do these things, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's saying, look, I don't care how I get there. I don't care if I, I die an old man, you know, that just, just dies peaceful of old age or whatever, or if I die at the hands of my persecutors. I don't care as long as one day I get the resurrection from the dead. That, that, that's what Paul's talking about here. 
See, we know from God's word very clearly that the resurrection of Christ was not a singular event. The resurrection of Jesus, yes, was a singular event, but this resurrection to eternal life will not be a singular event. Jesus was just the first fruits of the resurrection that will come to all believers. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 15, chapter tw- or verse 20 and 21. He says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Jesus was merely the first fruit on a tree of resurrected life. There will be many more, and if we are found in Christ, if we have trusted in Christ, then we too will be resurrected from the dead one day in glory. And not just with, with measly bodies that will then break down. You think about Lazarus, you think about uh, Jairus' daughter, you think about these other people that had been raised from the dead in God's word. They died again, right? <laughs> Lazarus still had, you know, still got older, and he got sick again one day, and he still died. I don't know how he died. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I know he's not walking around today. The bodies we get will not be like these bodies we now have. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Christ is the first fruits. He's the first to be raised from the dead to eternal life, whereas others passed away. But we too will raise from the dead to this eternal life in glorified bodies in glory. In fact, if you, you study the Bible, you see that not only we, believers, will be raised to this eternal glorious life, but all of creation, heaven and earth, will, will have a death and resurrection. Th- this curse that is on this earth right now will not always exist. This cursed earth will pass away, but God will make a new one, a resurrected, a better, more glorious earth. And that is what we will get to experience not for 20 years, not for 80 years, for eternity, forever and ever and ever and ever. When we recognize the truth of the resurrection, we don't want to live for today. We don't want to, to enjoy and, and have to try to get everything, every little happiness, every fleeting pleasure out of this life because we know that we have a citizenship in heaven for eternity and a resurrection to come. Paul says, because of this, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When you meet the resurrected Christ, you recognize your need, but you see that Christ fulfills that need. When you meet the resurrected Christ and you cling to him, he gives you the power to live the life you wish you'd have been living all along. And when you meet the resurrected Christ, it gives you a hope, not only for tomorrow, but for eternity. 
in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1611 says that is what we get to experience because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So is Jesus valuable? Is the resurrection valuable? Yes. It makes everything else we worry about, everything else we desire, everything else we pursue, waste our time on, seem silly and insignificant. Paul was a man who valued other things, but when he recognized, when he saw the resurrected Christ, his values changed. His whole life changed. In fact, his, his whole life was changed so much that the whole world was changed through his ministry and the power of God working in him. So as we come to the end of this service, to this communion table that is uh, reserved for those who have trusted in Christ Jesus already, his life his death, his resurrection from the dead. I ask you, have you met the resurrected Christ? If you have, you'll know about it. You'll know about it. When you see your great need, that the sin in your life that Jesus had to come to die for, but then you can feel the greatest relief, the greatest hope, the greatest joy, and see that he defeated that sin that holds you, that, that condemns you. And he rose from the dead, and you can trust in him by faith, and you get his life. You get his righteousness. You get the forgiveness he bought on the cross. Have you met that resurrected Christ? He may not come up to you like he did to Paul on the road, but he meets us through his word. He meets us as we hear the gospel. Even today, he could be meeting you in your heart. Some of you, uh, I wonder if maybe you've trusted in the resurrection of Christ, but you're still trying to live out of your own power. You're living as though there isn't the, the divine God of the universe, creator, sustainer, living inside of you, pouring inside of you this resurrection power. So I, I ask you, are, are you still giving in to sin? Do you feel hopeless against sin so you've just said, I give up? Meet this resurrected Christ. See his power. And I would also ask, again, it was an odd point, I know, for an Easter sermon, but have you seen the value of this life so clearly, the, the value of the hope for your future that he has purchased so clearly that you are willing to suffer right here, right now, to know the deep, everlasting joy of suffering alongside Christ? That is what the resurrection does for us. Hope for today, hope for tomorrow, hope for eternity, new life. There is nothing, nothing in this world that has changed my life so much as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because it is the thing of greatest value. I hope that is true for you as well. Let's pray.